Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. Season three, episode four of Pop On Leadership. That is covering season three, episode four of Ted Lasso. The episode is called Big Week. And it's a big week because Richmond is playing West Ham, which is the team that Rupert owns and that Nate has been coaching. And I cannot believe we've made it all the way to episode four without talking about Nate this season. But it's okay because we've been capturing our notes. We have a lot to say reflecting on the this in the past four episodes. But here's a quick recap of what's going on. We wrapped up the last episode where Jamie's feeling a certain way about Zava. Roy offers to train him and the show opens up with Roy knocking on his door at 4 a.m., right? They were serious. They're going to start this. So it'll be interesting to see how this evolves. Um, There's a lot about Nate in this episode where specifically... I, I, one very important note is that the team finds out, and we'll talk about how and when, but the team finds out that the believe sign had been ripped, and then later on they find out that it was Nate. Um, and so Nate's really stressing out about this game against Richmond. Um, we see Nate going back and forth between uh, being feeling righteous in his uh, disregard and dislike of Richmond and Ted and then feeling guilty about it. And he's just sort of seesawing back and forth. And uh, there's a lot, but not only is Nate stressed beard and Roy are super stressed as well. There's that scene where they're thinking about the tactics of this week and they're like presenting it to Higgins. And it reminded me of that Princess Bride scene with like the poison wine. He's like, and the, he's going to think we're thinking like him. That's why we have to think like oh. us. And then him thinking like us. And then we're going to be thinking like he's thinking like us. And we're thinking, you know, so there's, it was like, they went down. They, they're clearly stressed. Everyone is there's a lot of pressure. Rebecca's feeling pressure because she wants to beat Rupert, etc. So there's there's a lot of that. But Nate's been talking a lot of shit up until this point, right? We haven't covered much of it, but um, people are also like, oh, what's it going to feel like to play Ted again? Because you've been really trashing him in the papers and at the press conferences. And so there's that. So um, there's a little bit of that. And then there's also this bit of a side story where <laughs> Shandy or Sassy. Oh, Shandy. <laughs> we love Sassy. Sassy comes back and calls Ted a mess. But Shandy is, oh, man, Shandy is still around, but not going to last much longer. And Keely meets Jack, which is the investor, right, of the VC or like the 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 head of the VC that is investing and is funding uh, Keeley's company. And here once again, I think they did Keeley dirty. You're telling me she didn't know who Jack was? She thinks Jack's a man, turns out to be a woman, and she's just kind of like a bumbling mess around. I, I, look, I know it's plot development, but again, I'm, I'm sort of annoyed with how they... Keely seems so such a dum dum in this in this season, but okay. 
And yeah, I think, again, to your point that you talked about, don't you think Rebecca would tell her, you need to know who your boss is? Yeah. Like, like it, yeah, no, that's true. Like, even how Rebecca in her- Or Barbara. Come on. How how Rebecca's even interacting around her, or like, with the, the CFO thing and the, I don't know, like, someone would have swooped in to help her a little bit more if she really was this clueless. I don't know. It's a, I don't know. I get what they were trying to do, I guess. They just want to show Keely stumbling, but we don't, we don't need another dumb blonde character. Yeah. We've had enough. We've had, our generation's had enough, y'all. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then when you see how the season plays out without giving away too many spoilers, but clearly they're like setting this up that you're like okay this isn't gonna last like keely's making all these mistakes like what's gonna happen and then you see how it ends up and it's like they could have done this storyline storyline without her looking so foolish they could have gotten to that same ending Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because now you're like well does she even deserve this job because she's made so many foolish mistakes like what is i don't get it like anyway enough enough we've 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 (laughs) We're still gonna. We're probably yeah. We're still gonna probably talk about it because we can. It's Keely's just, our new name just, this season. Last year we couldn't stop talking. Yeah, yeah. At least we're not arguing about it. No, we're not arguing. That's true. <laughs> we are. We are aligned that that storyline is not. God. Okay. All right. I promise we're done after this. But they could have made it just as interesting. They could have made it, and she could have failed. They yeah. could have had a, some really great lessons in there with her still stumbling. Because I do yeah. like the fact that she's stumbling. You know, I don't like overnight success stories. They could have done the same thing. And I actually really like the Jack storyline. Um, that's still relatable. She could have known who Jack was, right? And they still could have gotten in a relationship because they're still there. They're, We'll, we'll see this in the next episode. This is a spoiler, but they're trying to show that Keely's yet again, like sacrificing herself and getting into, getting swept away by another narcissist partner, right? They're just using Jack as that person. Um, but they could have done it. It could have worked just fine without Keely looking like an idiot. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I'm all here for the, for the lessons and Keely stumbling and Keely stretching and being stressed. I think that's real. We wanted to see that. We wanted to see her growth. And to your point, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not always going to feel easy. Sometimes where we left her at the end of season two was where she, things were kind of coming easy to her and she felt undeserving, right? So this was naturally the next chapter where she had been given some opportunities, which were well-deserved, well-earned. And of course she was going to be stretched in new ways. Of course she was going to be tested, but like she didn't lose her brain between season two and season three. So I don't know. That's just the part to your point. Like they could have done this, this, the same, but different. We still, we still love you. We writers, still love you. We still love this, you. Yeah. Thank you for everything. That yeah, you've done. we're not, we're not <laughs> complaining, so to speak. But okay, let's talk about our buddy Nate, who we've made it all the way to episode okay. four without bringing up. But that's okay because I think we're going to spend a lot of time on him today. Yeah. Um, I actually thought Nate was going to be more of a villain in this season than he has been. Like, I think he's just he's confused. Yeah right like we just see him as a confused little boy which he is we knew we knew that going in at the end of of season three and he chose he chose the dark side um he he started associating like niceness with weakness 
right? He mm-hmm. struggles to understand how it, that sort of nice confidence comes so easily to Ted. Now, Ted's not perfect. We know that. But it's something that Nate, I think, worries that if he's nice, he's going to be taken advantage of. And we see that, like, in the first couple episodes, how mean he is to his staff, how rude. He doesn't say hi to people. He ignores them. He shoots them out of his office. The only person he's sort of bumbling around is Rupert. Mm-hmm. But if and when he feels like he has any bit of power, he abuses it in a way by being rude or what have you, by being mean to his players. Um, But yeah, it's not really him. He just, he has, he thinks he needs to be that way. Because I don't think... He's trying, yeah, he's trying to appease Rupert now, right? Like, at first, he didn't feel like he was worthy enough for Ted, so he was kind of trying to do whatever he could to get Ted's attention and and do things the way that he th- thought Ted wanted him to. And now he's just taking that same behavioral pattern and he's using it with Rupert. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think there's also still the... Um... He's still figuring himself out. He is still on that. He is mm-hmm. still mending his own bowl. He is still acknowledging the cracks in his own bowl and learning to accept himself. And he's not there yet. Right? No. Um, that That is his season three arc. But he's not there yet. And so he pretends that the cracks aren't there. Yeah. I think that's it. It's, I don't, his storyline in this, it hasn't really been as captivating because I think it's been more focused on Rupert and how terrible Rupert is and Rebecca's journey to see Rupert for who he is and that there's nothing she could have done to like make him a good person. Yeah. Yeah. So, because she also sees in this episode that like Rupert is once again like cheating on his latest wife. Right. He's, mm-hmm. He just has only one way of working. Um, and it was interesting because she Ugh. says, you know, your kid deserves better. Bex deserves better. But um, that was an interesting moment for her because she was she's she's been so obsessed with beating him and competing against him that that shift that she, you're, you know, you're reminded like Rebecca's a really good person. <laughs> That even mm-hmm. if she's so consumed, she's in so much pain, she still empathizes with what that must feel like. Because she she knows, right? Um, I think that's also a very powerful thing. Her empathy is very powerful. I think that that was such a pivotal... Piv- that's not the word. Pivotal. Oh my God, I can't say the word right now. Pivotal? <laughs> pivotal? <laughs> pivotal? What's wrong with Pitfall, me? Mr. Worldwide? <laughs> it's such a turning point let's use that word whenever she sees him do that because she's just like oh you're just a piece of shit and you're always going to be a piece of shit um and i loved that point when she's talking she you know they had their oklahoma which is her and ted's word for let's just say whatever's on our mind and ted looks at rebecca and he's like you know you've already won you got that turkey out of your yeah. life and she just hasn't been able to see that and i think whenever he saw her like cheating with his assistant like she was like oh yeah he is like he's just a piece of shit and he's always gonna be a piece of shit it has nothing to do with me. yeah and this element this this aspect of him owning a professional football club and me owning a professional football club is one aspect of the relationship that can exist in a business sense that I do not have to intertwine 
with all this other personal stuff because he's a jackass. Like I need to see him as like, mm-hmm. and so I think it helps her. This is the moment where it's very blended for her, which makes sense um, where she can start to separate like the business from the relationship and, and be very glad that he's out of her life and yet still know that he, she has to interact with him as a, you know, as a football club. Yeah. Um, can we talk though about, I know that there's not too, too much to say about Nate, but the team finds out that the believe sign is ripped and there's just so much mm-hmm. sweetness around. You just see how much this team has gelled and grown and, and grew so close over the years that they're devastated, right? When they find out mm-hmm. what happened. Um, well, th- they don't know at first. They just know that it's been ripped and they're, and they're shocked. Beard and Roy make a decision because they got access to the security footage. It was Trent's idea. Why don't we look at the security footage from that night to see what happened or what have you or past whatever. And they find out it was Nate. And Beard and Roy think it's going to be a really good idea to show it to the team. And Ted's like, I don't think so, guys. And and Beard and Roy also have said to Ted, like, I don't think it's normal that you're not upset with Nate. And he's like, I'm not. He's like, well, you're like, they're like, you're repressing your feelings. Like, it's not, no, you need to tell him. Mm-hmm. You need to let it go. You can't let it fester. And he's like, there's nothing festering. Like, I don't, I don't know if you, if, if you believe that or not, right? Because Ted is. The, no, there's something definitely festering. Totally. Ted's the type to repress it. But all in all, what happens during halftime, they're only down one, they're down two goals. Roy and, and, and Beard, without Ted's permission, going against his suggestion and guidance, show the team the footage of Nate ripping up the sign. And the team gets so angry. So angry. And what happens? <laughs> they just, like, I mean, they just start just getting penalties after penalties. And it's just an absolute... Yeah, they're getting red cards. They're playing with fewer and fewer players. It's they're very physical. They're so angry. They're they're physically taking it out. So they're getting ejected from the game. They're playing angry. They're playing dirty. And, you know, and they're playing with hate. And so this made me think Mm -hmm. of the different ways you might motivate a team, right? We've heard you could use a carrot or a stick. And you always say, like, if you use a carrot, expect donkeys. If you use a stick, I mean, I guess you're also working with donkeys, but (laughs) it did make me think of like, how do you want to motivate a team? Right. Cause they were in a moment where they needed to, they needed a pep talk. Right. That was not it. Mm -hmm. So what, like what, it it, it is an interesting thing. Sometimes you're in a moment where your team's down and you got to get them to rally around something. And so you would think that a shared enemy would be good, but I think that the, I think that that's like our ego that thinks that maybe, right? Like, or it's, I, that scene was showing what a misstep that is because, and, and I mean, it's, it's a very, very obvious metaphor that whenever you try to use anger or you try to use hatred, it, it just causes a mess. Yeah. 
like, and I think with like Rebecca and, and like this, what we see what's happening with the team is that everybody is just, it's just causing a mess. And if you take that and you compare it to the other halftime talks that Ted usually gives, it's keep doing what you're doing, stay focused, like be in the moment and everything's going to work out the way that it's supposed to work out. But that like what Ted does is harder um, and it feels more ambiguous and like you're less out of, con you're less in control than like this, like really actionable thing that Roy and Beer choose to do. They're like, I'm going to put fire underneath them. It's like, I don't, I think that's just like, for some reason, people think that that's effective, but I just, I don't know. I just don't think it's effective. So two points on this. I think there's a happy medium between Ted's pep talks <laughs> And showing, creating <laughs> hate around this anger and, you know, hate around a, a shared villain. Um, because I do think the ambiguity and as lovely as Ted's words are, there are moments where like, it is his job to give guidance. It is his job to give direction. Now, there is an element of like, I can only give you so much. And then when you're out on the field, there's going to be things within your control and out of your control and the best we can do is like that you do your best and learn and, and, and put into play the lessons that you've learned. Right. That I get that. But sometimes that level of ambiguity is not helpful. It's it can create stress. So you need some clarity, clarity. You need like when, whenever Nate went and gave everybody those like really like actionable steps. Yes. Like yes. Something actionable so then you yeah because i get that stuff is going to feel out of your control but going out there constantly feeling out of control is not good either that is not good for psychological mm -hmm. safety either so there has to be a happy medium i think i don't know exactly what i would say <laughs> i don't have advice but, <laughs> but i don't know if ted's approach is always so great for every single moment for some moments it's fine for other moments like this one ted this is a big deal like you, he, if he had given a warm and fuzzy speech, it would have been really frustrating. I think for that team, it was, it was going to be frustrating for Roy and Beard. That's for sure. I think. Yeah. Um, that was one point. The other point is, I think the reason, I think there are teams that routinely are motivated by hate or anger or destroying someone else. And it's not healthy. But they're so used to it, and that's their MO, that mm -hmm. they pull it off. And they like, you know, it's an un unhealthy to have that energy all the time. It's like high school teams having a rival. Well, actually, that would probably be a really great um, analogy here. And I, that, I don't know if there's ever been research done on this, but if whenever a team is playing their quote-unquote rival, if they get sloppier because... Mm. They're in their head because because they're in their head. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's just a yeah, hypothesis. We should look into but... that. But I guess that what I was the reason I bring that up is like I I this team Richmond has gone so long not working in that way. That is not their mo, right? That this was so foreign that they could not control. They couldn't channel these feelings in any productive mm -hmm. way because this is such a foreign way to feel on the field right yeah. whereas i think other teams again unhealthy 
wouldn't recommend, but do it so much that they figured out how to channel it. Ah, that's interesting. Okay. I see what you're saying there. It's like, if you're used to using that, like, we've got to be number, you know, like we've got to destroy the enemy with every single team and that's their process. Right. Cause like, I think that this goes back to like trusting the process. Mm -hmm. If that is your process, maybe that's easier than if you just kind of like throw it in the mix in the middle of a game. Right, right, right. Or just try something on for size. It's like, it's like Nate in the spit thing. Not mm -hmm. healthy, but it works. So yeah, he okay. goes back to it, right? He goes back to it and needs it and has to embody that mindset of crush the enemy. Everyone's the enemy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it didn't it work. Didn't work. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, I am curious your take on, because afterwards, Roy and Beard felt really bad. It was obvious that they mm -hmm. messed up. Yep, definitely. And they want Ted to yell at him. Why do you think, and Ted doesn't, but why do you think that is? I, they want to know that I, so there, we have three instances of this inside of this episode. Ted is not um, telling Nate, like he's not getting angry with Nate. He's not getting angry with Roy and Beard when he should, mm -hmm. right? And he's also not getting angry with his ex-wife, Michelle. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes when... I'm not, I'm not a proponent of anger. I have a, hold on. I don't have a lot to say on this because this has been like my life journey as well. But, um, I think that if you don't show anger, you're like, you're putting yourself last. So we see a lot of these instances in this episode where everyone's telling Ted that he, that he's codependent, mm -hmm. right? And so like, if you are, if you are someone that codependency is the way that you kind of learn to navigate in the world, you, you don't want to be angry with somebody because you're so scared of rejection mm. that you just hold everything in. And the impact that you have when you hold everything in and you're not telling people things that are on your mind, that's more destructive than if you're actually telling people. Well, Beard has, Does that make yeah, sense? Well, Beard has that line, which is obvious. It's not a joke in the show, but it's a funny joke as the viewer that he goes to like codependence anonymous with <laughs> goes with Jane because Jane wants him to go. <laughs> but where they talk about when you keep anger inside, it's like carbon monoxide, right? If you if, when you mm -hmm. when you tell the other person that made you angry what you're angry about, it's like opening up the windows and ventilating and getting the fresh air out. But if you <laughs> this is in the show, but if you uh don't and you keep it in, you will suffocate and you will die on that anger. Right? Totally. And, and just because you're keeping it in because you're scared of rejection, right? Um, it doesn't mean that people cannot feel it, right? It almost becomes like an energy vacuum. So in the research with radical candor, actually, if you ask people if they prefer um, obnoxious aggression, which is just like that asshole that just says whatever that's on their mind without any regard for other people, or they, per or ruinous empathy, where it's somebody who doesn't say anything to anybody because they're so scared of hurting feelings, people as yeah. a as a collective prefer obnoxious yes. aggression over ruinous empathy yeah yeah 
right? Because because you can still feel it. And I think it's more almost more destructive, I would yeah. say, whenever somebody is not telling you like what they actually think. Yeah. And that can start to destroy relationships as well. I have this up right now because I'm not an expert in this, even though it has been my lived experience of getting over codependency. But here's a couple signs of it. Um, so you can kind of relate this to like what you see going on in TED. So it's a tendency to do more than your share all the time. It's a fear of losing relationships and you have a fear of abandonment. It's an overwhelming overwhelming need to be reassured and recognized, a compelling desire to control others, a fear of rejection, a tendency to apologize and keep peace, problems with creating and keeping boundaries, difficulty making decisions, doing things that you don't want to do to make others happy and poor communication yeah. relationships. Yeah. So like... Anyways, I just, I, I'm kind of reading that right now so everyone can kind of see like this is Ted's journey of he puts everyone above himself and you start to see that that deteriorates him yeah. as a human but, being. And, and as a leader, this reminds me of the affirmer style, right? That you yeah, are totally. seeking, you're prioritizing harmony. What happens with that when you have a leader that, that behaves like that is that they'll put off making tough decisions because they're really scared of upsetting mm -hmm. someone. Well, guess what? That can hurt the success of a team and project and work because you're delaying, right? That turns into like deadlines being missed or things not being shipped on time or what have you because hard decisions are being avoided. That's that. That's how that shows up in the workplace. Also, it can lead to a very passive aggressive culture where I've worked with organizations mm -hmm. that are like on the surface, like harmony, harmony, harmony. We love each other. For example, I work with a a, a lot of uh, law firms, and I don't know if like back in the day of like John Adams and, and Thomas Jefferson, they were like, <laughs> moving forward, all law firms will be based on collegiality. And the reason I bring that up is no matter how many law firms I work with, when you ask them like what to describe their culture, the values they, they uphold the most, it's always the word, they all use the same word, collegiality. Okay, cool. Great. What? That makes you feel like people getting along, supporting each other, etc. But we're in this together. Yes. And then under the surface, because people are really hesitant to tell each other what they think, there's no culture of feedback at all. It becomes really passive aggressive and not, I mean, it's not just law firms I'm picking on. I worked at a company like this as well, where everyone was quote unquote family and best friends, but withheld the tough decisions, withheld the tough news. So you get this passive aggressive culture where no one's saying anything to your face, but saying things behind your back or quietly sabotaging themselves and others because they can. And so anyway, that's how this shows up on a team or in a work culture. And so it is, it's really important to have, I mean, here we are, we're talking about codependency and all these things, but in the workplace, it is important to have processes in place and the psychological safety in place easier said than done to be able <laughs> to talk about tough stuff to work through conflict yeah you don't want false harmony like if yeah that, that is the, like the, the absolute last thing that you want but and, and i think to your point it starts with like the leaders being able to recognize that in themselves that like if you think you're doing people a service by um keeping it in and not telling people like what's on your mind or like even telling them the hard stuff you are creating a culture that is not positive like like that's going to be just as destructive if you have an asshole micromanager that's leading the team like you're destroying the culture just as much by by that behavior yeah.
And I have to tell myself this too, right? Like this is this, like even in my own leadership journey, like, like, um, I mean, if I, if I did never had to tell somebody a hard news and I could be friends with everybody for the rest of my life, I would, right? Like every time I have to go have a hard conversation, I have to have a pep talk with myself and say, I'm doing this for the benefit of the team and doing this for the benefit of the relationships, even though this makes me like want to throw up on sure, the side. Sure. And I, and I think you had mentioned this, that like when people given the choice between ruinous empathy or obnoxious aggression, they'll choose obnoxious aggression. And I, I think that's related to th- there's, there's many models and frameworks out there for psychological safety and one is the scarf model by dr rock and scarf stands for um status certainty autonomy relatedness and fairness but i'm not going to go into all of them but i want to talk about the first one that s status is that one of the levers one of the domains or areas that might make a person or team feel like there's a lack of psychological safety and or that they're feeling threatened is when there's a lack of clear status, which means where do I stand? And you can have moments Mm. like that. That's normal. You're never going to always know where you stand at all times. But if that's prolonged and constant, if you never know where you stand, a lack of like status, that is why people will choose obnoxious aggression because thank god you told at least you told me at least you told me where i stand (laughs) right like okay it might have been harsh but i at least feel even though it was harsh i feel less threatened i feel a sense of safety knowing where i stand in my status so that that is very true yeah yeah so anyways um and and so we see ted and i think it's actually really beautiful at this episode is that he's starting to work Mm -hmm. through it he calls Michelle his ex-wife, and we see at the end of the episode, he says, "I, you are dating our therapist. And in this entire episode, uh, Ted is spiraling. He's like looking him up online. <laughs> On he's doing deep... <laughs> He's doing deep dives of his Instagram. He's just doing that. Ter- I mean, we've all been there before, right? <laughs> just like, of just, you know, going down that terrible rabbit hole. But at the end, then at the end, he calls Michelle and he says, I have to say this to you. I'm, I'm, I'm ticked off right now. Yeah. You know, like the, like this is upsetting. And I mean, it, it's, it's a beautiful scene. And he's telling her, he's like, I love this family. So I have to tell you this, I have to get the, get this off my chest for the health of our family. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It's, yeah. But, but that is such a big step, right? So like anybody that relates with Ted's character or holds things in, um, I think that if you watch that, it, it should give you hope that you don't have to stay like that forever. Mm-hmm. Like the, it, it's those little actions. If, if you get mad, even if it's small and in your head, you're telling yourself, this doesn't matter. I don't need to bring this up. Those little actions of being able to say, I'm mad right now. And I'm going to tell you that I'm mad. It takes a lot of courage if it scares you, but if you just start doing it, you start practicing, you can start healing that part of yourself. For sure. And and if we were to break down sort of what Ted does, if you were to like sort of try to recreate this moment with a coworker at work or, or anyone really, is that it, there's a moment that basically Ted's like, I got something to tell you, which is like, hey, I've got feedback. Is this the right time? Right? It's the, kind of the equivalent. Then says like, here's the thing that I've observed and that is bothering me. Right. And so it's like the what? Okay. And it's not mm-hmm. like I, I, it's not an assumption. It's not like what I think it's like, here's what's happening. 
what is observable and true and cannot be denied by the other person, right? Because you also want to gut check yourself. Wait a minute, is this my perception or assumption or is this thing actually true? And then explaining why it matters and how it's impacting him. And he's not necessarily waiting for like an apology, but I think that formula of like, look, I've got feedback. Here's what I've observed. And I don't, I don't mm-hmm. like it. And here's why it matters to me and us. Right. And there was an us. There was also mm-hmm. like, here's why it matters to us. Cause there was something in that. It reminded me of moments where you may have worked with someone that it's stressful. Maybe you have bad history. Maybe you just don't get along, but there's that moment. It's like, look, I need you to be successful and you need me to be successful. In Ted's case, it's like, look, we're raising a kid together at work. It's like, look, yeah. we're on the same team or we got the same, or we're like, do the same or whatever it might be. Like, I need you to be successful. You need me to be successful. And so we're going to have to figure out a way to communicate. Right. So that we're all moving forward. Yeah. Totally. <clears throat> yeah. No, it was, it was great. And it, and it does matter, right? Like, um, I'm a child of a divorced parent, and I mean, people have horror stories about that. And I think that one of the wonder, my parents are not perfect by any means, but one of the one, most wonderful things that they did for me was that they stayed friends. Like they, like they never talked crap about each other. They would always tell each other that they loved each other. Right. Even, which is very bizarre, but th- like, that was like, like that was the most healthy thing in the world. And I think that like Ted's doing a call out that like, like our family like has to stay intact so that like this doesn't affect our child. And so for me, that was like a very, very touching part. Cause like, I hope, I hope that like, like, cause anyways, I hope, I hope children can have that experience. Like we do divorce better as we, as we, you know, grow and evolve. Yeah. And it reminded me too, like, uh, uh, I've been in a work situation where one, I have felt where like, if you kind of, you know, when you have like dotted lines to people, you have like maybe a direct boss, but you also have a dotted line to other things. And mm-hmm. I have found myself where I've used this analogy where I'm like, I feel like I'm the child of two divorced parents where mom and, totally. mom and dad are not getting along. They're talking shit about each other. They're using me as a pawn. They're like, well, go ask so-and-so. And I, I was like, this is like the two of you need to act like grown-ups. So this actually plays out in the workplace as well, where if you, absolutely, if you are in a position of power and authority, like a parent, <laughs> But you are a manager of a person or team and you are talking shit about someone at your level that they also have to interact with. You are muddying the waters. It is your responsibility to figure out how to work with that peer versus trying to get your team to hate them. That's not productive. Oh, my gosh. I and we used to take every single one of our teams at my last company through the five dysfunctions of a team. And I would say like one of the biggest themes that comes out of that is that leadership teams forget that they are a team. Mm-hmm. Like well, they're, they're always looking down and they don't look across and they don't put the same amount of emphasis on creating that team at their peer level. And they forget how important that is, like exactly what you just said of being able to say, like, if I'm not here, you can go ask my peer and they're going to tell you the same thing that I'm going to tell you. We operate as a team. So we're not a bunch of divorced parents. That is an amazing analogy because yeah. that's exactly how it feels. If you're not doing that, you're causing so much disruption because it's just a bunch of divorced people that don't know how to get along. Yeah. Oh, I've seen it. I've been part 
are teams like that. Yeah, absolutely. I've been the one that feels like yeah. the kid. And I've been one of the, <laughs> the, one, the parent that probably wasn't acting properly. And I've also been the one that's like trying to repair relationships, but the other side doesn't want to. Like, it is real. Mm -hmm. It happens. Um, but yeah. Well, all right. That concludes that big week um, where Richmond and West Ham meet. Um, I feel like if this is this was the starting. The season started out slow for me, but again, rewatching it's mm -hmm. been really nice. I've, I'm appreciating these episodes more and more. But I know we're getting into some really fun episodes, so I'm looking forward. Oh, I can't wait! Yeah, the Amsterdam episode. Yeah, that's episode six. So. Okay, time for us to go. <laughs> okay, bye everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>Thanks for listening, everybody, and we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.